0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. Carly Findlay is an award-winning writer, speaker and appearance activist and podcaster. Earlier this year, she also released a memoir called Say Hello. Given Carly is not yet 40, it may seem she's a little young to write a memoir, but Carly has lived a lot and had experiences that are worth talking about. Carly was born with a rare skin condition called ichthyosis, a rare skin disorder that means her skin gets itchy and sore and she's prone to infections and her skin is red. She wrote her book for those with appearance diversity and facial difference and those without. She joins us now in the studio. Hi Carly, how are you? Hi Siobhan, I'm well, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, How does ichthyosis impact
1: your daily life? Um, Well, it makes it my, it makes my skin red and itchy and scaly and um, painful. And it can be hard, like, because I look the same every day, it can be hard for people to know when it's painful or they assume it's always painful. Um, I wasn't really sore yesterday, but I am sore today. I don't know why. Um, and on top of that, I think which is more difficult than the medical stuff, is the way people react to my appearance. So the questions and the comments and the assumptions and the rudeness. So um, when we talk about disability, and I identify as a disabled person, we often talk about the body being a deficit, but... What is more disabling is the people's attitudes and the barriers that people put up. So the low expectations or the intrusive questions or the difficulty of getting a job or um, a lack of ramp in a, in a building.
0: I think the thing that always gets me um, reading this book and hearing the sort of questions that people ask you mm-hmm. is why people feel they have a right to ask those yeah. questions Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've had any insight <laughs> to
1: that over your years. I think that when you are born or acquire a disability or a difference or a facial difference um, or limb difference or any kind of difference, um, maybe even being pregnant, because I hear that um, some of the questions I get are very similar to pregnant people, and. I feel like our body is no longer our own. It is for someone else. So, you know, it's for the doctors to medicalise, and it's for, which sometimes is needed, um, and it's for strangers to intrude upon. And so that can be pretty hard. It, yeah. It's, uh, it,
0: I mean, to state the obvious, it seems like an incredible lack of empathy mm. because you wouldn't, the people that say those things, I can't imagine would welcome similar comments.
1: No, I don't I don't think they would. But also I think that there's an assumption that the people that are doing this are intellectually impaired or sheltered in some way and to assume that is incredibly ableist, but the people that are asking these questions are people that do things just like me, obviously, because we're in the same place. Um, you know, they're concert goers, they're shoppers, they're um, writers' festival goers. You know, and it's it's really tricky. And one of the things I do find hard is um, as a now I I work in the arts, I work at a festival, and I also have written a book, and I go to a lot of writers' festivals and events. And when I'm in Encountering this in my work environments, and there's so many types of work environments, including in the media, that can be really hard, uh, really hard to set boundaries. I had a man at a writers' festival recently who did buy my book, so thank you to him. Um, and as I was, and he listened to my speech, and as I was signing my book, he said to his book for, you know, my book for him, he said, I don't want to be rude or anything which is always a precursor (laughs) to being rude Um, but I might have a a cure Uh, and I I said to him I don't think you listen to what I said because I talked a lot about being okay with how I look uh, because a cure often is attached to changing appearance it's not so much attached to the pain Uh, and in the book I've said I'd like a cure for the pain but I wouldn't change my appearance and I said I'm I'm literally just here to sign your book so Please don't go on with your conversation. Um, <laughs> How did he take that? Fine. He just shut up. But it's, it's hard because you, you have to walk this line of being educative and being assertive. And sometimes I don't want to be educative. Sometimes I just want to get on with my day. And sometimes I find that parents can be... Tricky in educating their kids, which it, it's very, very important that kids are aware of people that look different. But it's also not up to those who look different to constantly educate. So, you know, if a kid asks me or asks their parents why do, why does she look like that, sometimes the parent will make up an excuse, which I really don't like. It's all often a lie. It's often Carly's been stupid in the sun. Uh, which is not true so then that puts that blame on me that I have let myself get this sunburn and everyone now knows that sunburn causes cancer so I've been ridiculously silly in the sun in their child's mind um or they might say I don't know why don't you go and ask her but sometimes I don't really want to a- answer that and um yeah or I-, I think a parent in that case should say um maybe you could ask if it's okay to ask her Mm.
0: I was going to ask that mm. because um, children, I have two myself, they're five and seven. Mm-hmm. They're very curious, mm. um, very blunt mm. creatures, haven't really got much nuance about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, uh, if parents in that situation, you've already explained what would, could be an option, say, mm. uh a don't lie, especially mm. if you don't know what's going on. <laughs> mm. um, B um, ask your child to politely ask. Yeah. Or be the parent and ask yourself and yeah. ask if it's okay yep. to have yeah, that conversation. Yeah. And but would the best way be the education before yeah, they absolutely.
1: get to the- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, educate Children by showing them diverse people, diverse. You know, it's, and it's super easy with social media now. I know that when I've met my friends' kids, they'll often say, "Oh, we've sat down and looked at your Instagram together," and they know, you know, um, they know who I am, they know what to expect. Um, watch TV shows that have diverse people in them. Um, you know, read books featuring kids with. Disabilities or um, kids with different colour skin, kids with um, that speak different languages, all of that. Like it's it's really easy now compared to when we were children to get that kind of education, and I really appreciate it when a parent, you know, a friend of mine who is a parent will say, "Yes, we've we've looked at your photos together," and or even telling me what um, what they might say and what questions they might have asked, them. and they're generally quite good. Yeah, I mean, you make the point in the book that.
0: You accept that you look different and Mm -hmm. that children are children and they will respond their way, their Mm. their own way, but it doesn't lessen the hurt of the way that takes place. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And sometimes children are really mean and it takes me back to being at school. Um, Sometimes I hear kids like parents of kids with ichthyosis or other disabilities talk about the way their children are treated and it's exactly like I was treated you know being not not invited to birthday parties or being laughed at or being um told that we're contagious or you know that kind of segregation um and also I guess it's the way parents talk about people and talk and also talk about themselves i think it's really important to set a good example and how you talk about your own body and your own face and own appearance and not um not cry tragedy if you've got a pimple or if you've got some dandruff because that's a normal part of the human body so when you're you know when a woman or, or a man or, or a transgender person is talking about their appearance in a really negative way their child is going to talk about their appearance in a really negative way and also about other people's appearances because if that person has beauty privilege um so like you if you're if you're telling me how hard it is that you've got a scaly scalp for example whereas my scalp is significantly scalier i I don't seem to have the same level of yes. em- empathy <laughs> as yes. that. I'm sorry, but you know, you know what I mean. And, and then and your when, parents
0: did that with you too, didn't absolutely, they? Absolutely. Yeah, there was up. no
1: kind of diet talk or no talk about changing faces. My mum didn't use makeup, or she did. She got the clinic samples. I remember that, <laughs> but she didn't. And because I used to play with them, but she didn't. She would never used makeup that I know of, um, really. I mean, it might have been the occasional moisturiser, but I find that when people talk negatively about their own appearance, they're often then going to talk negatively about other people's appearances. And I remember sitting in a a work lunchroom one day, not at my current work, just to make that clear, but there was some women talking about going out on Friday night and, and this was on a Tuesday. So this had stuck with them for so long. And they said... Oh, I saw this this woman on Friday night, and she just would have been so much prettier if she had a different face. And I was like, "What?" And I stepped up and said something. I mean, you know, I wasn't very popular, but I just said, "You know, what what if that person had a facial difference?" And they, oh no, we wouldn't have said that if they had a facial difference. I said, "Yeah, but you're saying that about." someone to start with how is that even appropriate you know and and these are the women that constantly complain about their own appearance about their bad hair day or you know they can't go out the house with make without makeup so it's it's challenging
0: well the other thing that you mentioned in your book that your parents did was that they introduced you to diversity in within your own community Mm -hmm. um how much difference did it make to you that you were able to see different bodies, different faces.
1: Yeah. I mean, my parents are diverse in themselves. My dad comes from England, so I guess not too diverse. He's a white... (laughs) He's an old white man. Um, But my mum is South African and she's black South African and they moved coloured South African as as it was classed in. She met my dad when he was working in South Africa and they couldn't get married because of the racial segregation laws then. So they came to Australia and we had a lot of South African friends when I was younger who had moved to Australia as well. Um, And then they often, my my parents also befriended other migrant families in Albury where we lived. And also, I don't know whether this is a good thing or not now because I think that it kind of borders on inspiration porn. Inspiration porn is the objectification of disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people. But my doctor told my mum when I was in hospital to make sure I get to see other children that are sick, perhaps worse off than me, to see that I'm not so bad. In hindsight, that doesn't seem great because I don't want to be pitying of them or think that my life is so great compared to that. It's because I think everyone has got a great life and lots to offer however it was important to me to see those kind of diverse illnesses and diverse bodies yeah 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 um you say you, you were saying you grew up in Albury mm-hmm. which is not a big place mm-hmm. I grew up outside of Aubrey, even in a town oh. that was 500 people and <laughs> then we moved to a town that was 200 people oh
0: great <laughs> right so you went uh, from small to even smaller, Mm -hmm. small Mm -hmm. towns aren't Mm. known for their acceptance Mm. of difference because they tend not to have Mm. much difference within them. Mm.
1: What was it like growing up in those Mm. areas? It was really hard. Um, My mum, as I mentioned, is is black and she would have been the only black person in the town for years, maybe until I was 10 or 11. Um, The town had a Christian a very big Christian community and it was very difficult because I'm not religious I wasn't baptized mum would send me to church because she thought I would make friends but they some of the people that went to church said because my mum and dad are black and white they've sinned and so that's resulted in me (laughs) or or that I don't this this is even more baffling that because I'm not baptized I have, was born with ichthyosis but I don't understand how that could happen yeah not very logical not very logical <laughs> um, and also that well, there was a there was a school or there is a high school there that would take borders and they got a whole heap of um, uh, probably about 10 maybe maybe fewer um borders from Papua New Guinea Uh, and so then mum was not the only black person in the town but people would whisper to me like like I didn't know you know your mum's black (laughs) and and you're red and it it was just so bizarre and I, I kept you know I moved to high school I did go to high school in Albury and My parents said it will get better, but it didn't. Still lots of bullies. And I kept on thinking, when is, you know, when am I going to find my people? When am I going to find, you know, when will it get better? And then, you know, I went went through high school. I was pretty lonely. I had a few friends, but not huge amounts. And I didn't know how to be a friend either. So, you know, I wasn't a great person then. Um, And then my mum said to me about halfway through year 12 that I should, I should apply for a job and she said she thought that with the view that I'd get a job after uni or after school when I started university and instead I got the job you know, the week I applied. I went to work at Kmart and that was great. And I thought, wow, this is how life could be or should have been for so long. These people had to treat me professionally. I made friends my own age. I wish I'd started there earlier. So I worked there for four years and it was really great because I got to I got to learn how to deal with people who asked about my skin in a professional way. You know, I could be assertive, but I, I also had to be polite and that was really useful for me and useful to know that I could um, count on people to, you know, protect me there, I guess. Yeah, yeah it was great. Um,
0: as a, a parent, the last mm-hmm. thing we want is for our child to be bullied mm-hmm. for any reason, but particularly for how they look. If you're a yep. parent caring for a child and you know mm-hmm. what's painful, you know what they have to deal mm-hmm.
1: with, um, mm-hmm.
0: How did your did your parents try to protect you from that bullying? I mean, yeah, it's, they did. It's very um, hard. They
1: definitely did, um, and that probably didn't help either. You know, they would they would talk to the kids, in <laughs> not a great way. <laughs> um, I can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was pretty funny actually. I did seven, ABC seven thirty recently, and Mum said something that would probably get me into a heap of trouble, and I asked them to to uh, edit that because I'm like, oh gosh, that could end really badly for me on social media. (laughs) So I think you get the gist about the kind of anger that my parents felt towards some of these kids and more so their parents for just not, you know, not calling them, not pulling them up on it. But it's been interesting since the book's come out. I've had some people write to me to say, I realized how I treated you at school or, um, or... Uh, sorry, or you've taught me a lot of stuff. One of the funny things that happened bef- before the book, though, I got invited – so it's 20 years since I finished school, finished high school, and I got invited to my twenty-year, re- 19-year reunion last year. I don't really know why I was 19. Years. <laughs> it's anyway, not you People can't count. Anyway, maybe lots <laughs> of people left in year 11. I don't know. But I was in this Facebook group that every time I would comment yeah, – it was in a messenger chat – every time, every time I'd comment, n- people would either not say anything or leave. And so – it just felt like what were you I was saying nothing Carly? really. It was just like, oh, I don't think I can make it then or, you know, yeah. maybe maybe we shouldn't have it outside in the middle of winter in Aubrey because it's really cold. Uh, <laughs> kind of like that stuff, you know, sensible stuff. And every time, yeah, every time I'd say something, people would just ignore me or, you know, make another comment about something else change the subject. And it reminded me of high school so one of the great things about living with ichthyosis is that my skin renews very quickly, and so I look very young. And <laughs> I could pass for just finishing high school, I would say, sometimes on a good day. And you have a young voice. I have a young voice. So I found this photo of me because I was searching for photos for my book at the time, and I found this photo of me f- when I was at high school, so 20 years ago in year 11. Um, that was 20 years last year, in year 11, and I found my f- a photo of me, like you know, just the other day and I put them side by side in a little collage and I said hey so I'm going through some old photos and um this is what I look like 20 years ago and this is what I look like now. love to see how you've aged. <laughs> and then and then I left the group and I had a couple of people go, oh, I've never thought of it that way. I'm really sorry that, you know, I treated you that way. And anyway, I don't know what they were saying after that, but I just thought, yeah, that's a real... I like that. A real... Up <laughs> yours. <way."> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, see, that's yeah. a good
0: reason to go back to a reunion. And just, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: not only do I look <laughs> young, but I have a book. Um, so yeah, so that's been pretty... Pretty funny, um, <laughs> it, and it is it is hard because you never forget it. Like when I see groups of teenagers, you know, I think about what they did when I was a kid. Even though they're not they're different teenagers to what, what they were when I was, you know, different people entirely to what they were when I was a child, it still brings back memories. Yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned that um, you've you know, it's seeing kids that have ichthyosis today and they're mentioning similar comments to what you had at school. And is is that surprising to you? Because it sounds like, it feels like we're talking more Mm. about difference.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think when when I was a kid, I could leave that at school and I didn't, you know, I used the internet to escape, whereas now kids can't escape through the internet because the bullies are going to get to them through Messenger or however. Um. So it can, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. But also I haven't, I don't, I find like maybe their parents are more protective and don't, don't let them go online yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try and keep mine offline till they're like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Ages old. Um Now, I am aware of the irony of this before I actually ask it, and you mentioned this earlier when Mm -hmm. you talked about um, curiosity and Mm -hmm. when people ask you questions, but talk
1: to me about question fatigue for people who may not understand it. So much. Um, I think there's this, the idea of emotional labor, which is the work that we do to educate people, is really enormous. So. If I write about being discriminated by a taxi driver, for example, which happens quite a bit where they don't want they don't want me in their car because they think my face will ruin their car. For some reason, they think I'll rub my face <laughs> on their car seats or something. I don't know if you've ever travelled in a car with your face on the car seat, but I have never. Um, anyway, so when I write about that stuff, often I will do that instead of making a complaint to the taxi company because the complaint goes nowhere. It's easier just to out, you know, make it public on Twitter. And I will get people playing the devil's advocate. So I would, I would get people say, well, of course they were scared. They've never seen someone like you before. Or um, maybe they were having a bad day or, you know, they have every right to refuse you because, you know, because oil, Vaseline is damaging. Um, <laughs> so that can be really hard. So that's the ableism on top of the ableism, you know, the, the secondary ableism on top of the ableism initially account, encountered. And then there's the, the idea that we need to educate at all times um so just you know educating in public um to to people but also in media interviews I'm finding a lot where I might go in and my co-host hasn't you know doesn't have a disability or is invisibly disabled and they won't get the same questions I get oh I've set boundaries around that now but um the yeah it's I have to describe my appearance but the host doesn't have to ascribe theirs. Um, It's really tricky, yeah, Um, and it it is tiring. And the expectation falls on you to always explain. Yes, and also set boundaries. You know, now I I charge people for my time. I had an incident um, where... I guess I waded into this, but where someone in the public eye was quite disparaging and condescending towards disabled people on Twitter, and I tweeted about that, and um, it, then that tweet went viral because um, I, you know, I called them out on it, and then at the end of the day, they said, "Oh, heaps of people are coming to me to say they should, I should consult with you, Carly," and so I said, "Well." you can pay me for my time you can book me for a speech or you can buy my book and I had a meeting with that person today on the phone and I did charge them for my time because I said you know we do a lot of work and it's expected of us that we will educate so yeah Yeah. I'll send them my invoice so that was good um (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's tricky as well because you know I think being in the industry of education people expect you to educate and I had a break from work last week and I was saying I don't want to – I'm not doing activist stuff but people were still asking me. And I was tweeting activist stuff on my own terms but I didn't want to have to do stuff for other people. So that can be hard, setting those boundaries, yeah, and sometimes you just want to get on with your day. Yeah. Mm. Um. Mm -hmm.
0: So going back a step, you also write in the book about when you realised that you were different to other kids. Yeah.
1: That was you were quite young. Mm, when I was about three and then my mum I think my mum I used to go to pre play group in Walla, where we where we grew up. And everyone knew me, so it was okay. And I don't know whether I, I think they must have got over my difference pretty quickly. Um and I but then my mum I think had a doctor's appointment or something that day and she took me to another childcare centre in Aubrey and I remember just being pinched and punched by kids and, you know, mocked. That was, yeah, I remember that. Um, But, uh, yeah, so, you know, and my parents are always very matter of fact. A lot of kids don't get told about their disability, especially in certain cultures that think that disability is a, a, um, a curse a sin, and so my parents were not like that. They were very matter-of-fact. You know, I knew what ichthyosis was. I knew how to spell it when I was really young. I knew how to pronounce it. I knew what it meant for me. I was always present in the doctor's surgery when they talked about me. So there was no hiding. Um, and so why was very that honest. important to you? Because it allowed me to be educated. It allowed me autonomy over how, how I wanted treatment. Um, and my parents were very, um, very persistent in looking for a cure i would say when i was younger and there is no cure but they would do anything to make life easier and we would go to chinese herbalist and this guy from the side of the road who would get this mud i don't know what it was percy's powder apparently you can still buy it Um, when i was writing the book and i had to clarify what was in percy's powder my um my editor said she googled it, and yes, you can buy it from like iHerb or something now. <laughs> but it was like powder, a sludge that you'd mix up in this brown liquid, and it tasted like mud. You had I to drink it. Had to drink it. Oh. Like all sorts of goat, goat's milk, <laughs> grape juice, um, fish oil. You know, lots of different things. And but then the dermatologists were probably the best, the best bet with their medicine. And and then they would take me to these. Um, medical conferences where it would be pitched that one day we're going to find a cure. So all these doctors would come and have a look. When I was young and could get away with it, I would charge them money, like 10 cents. But then (laughs) when, you know, obviously when I got old, I couldn't do that anymore. But when I was 15, we went to one of those medical conferences and I... Said, I don't want to do this anymore because it was so intrusive. And lots of doctors from overseas and they didn't talk. I'm, you know, I'm generally a talker and I will talk to them. And you know, I'm very knowledgeable about my own body and skin. And when I had to sit there wearing my underwear and um, a blanket and one sock because they needed to look at a foot, um, I had. I said no more and so my mum was very good in saying you know Carly doesn't want to do this anymore we wouldn't get paid for those things it would be an all day event where you were so bored in a hospital room and it's for their benefit not really mine or other you know um, and the other thing that I used to have is medical photos taken as well, and that was always really intrusive. And I know a lot of disabled people who had those when they were a child and felt extremely violated from
0: those. You, you talk about um, your parents being very protective of you, particularly when it came to the media, mm. and seeing now parents who – take their children into that environment might Mm. be an interview or Mm. something I dare say current affair and those kinds of programs um
1: and tell me how you feel about that it's the worst um mum and dad never never put me in front of the media you know um it was very very good decision. And, and I think had there been social media, they would also not overshare. They're very private. And I see like caring for skin, caring for ichthyosis is a very private thing because our skin is a lot different to your skin. My skin renews itself every day. Yours renews itself every 28 days. And so the process of showering and bathing and you know changing bedding and putting cream on, it's quite a private thing for me and, and for many others. And so when I see parents who are new new parents to babies with ichthyosis especially, they chase the fame, they chase the social media clicks and it's disgusting. They put their children on social media in really compromising situations, really intimate situations and often they don't have the um, intellect to understand that idea that intimacy doesn't necessarily mean sexual, it means private and um, I've given some parents' advice, many parents' advice on how they're parading their children and it hasn't been taken very well. Some of it has been taken well but in most cases, no. Last year there was a, a photo of a little boy in a news article. The parent has sought so much media that this their story was syndicated all around the world and in Australia it made Channel 9 news and there was a content warning above his face. We look very similar as babies. The, the child had... A different form of ichthyosis to me but very similar appearance and there was a content warning above his face saying graphic content ahead and I said how dare you say that this child's face needs a content warning or is graphic content so I made a complaint to um, the media communication authority or whatever the place that you make complaints apparently it was the wrong one and I made a complaint to channel nine and the the content warning was removed and I talked to the head of news and And we talked about why this is an issue. And the parent unfriended me on Facebook for defending their child. And I said, when your child is older, they're going to Google themselves. And how are they going to feel when their face or seeing that their face had a content warning on it? How are they going to feel about their own esteem? Um, You you see parents videoing their kids for Facebook Live in the bath or having skin removed or... Mm. Just having their treatment and screaming, or you know that they're naked, and I say, "Would you like to be shown in this situation? You know this is for awareness, but for who and under their videos and photos are really horrible comments, and especially when they're taken to the media when you know when they're on a viral site like um a news site or a, another similar viral site, and the fo- you know the 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 comments are awful you know, telling them that they should have aborted their child or telling them that their child's ugly or a devil or whatever and... I think when their child is older and they will Google themselves, they will Google ichthyosis and they will find those words written about them. And how are they going to feel about that? So I I am really angry and I'm really protective of these children and I'm really angry with their parents because they set the scene for what people are going to think about ichthyosis for the whole community, not just for their baby. And they should be the person protecting their baby from these bullies. Instead, they're inviting these bullies in by parading them in intimate situations over the internet. And I'm all for sharing a lovely photo of your child, but I'm not all for sharing a photo of your child in the bath or during a hospital procedure or having, um, you know, having a meltdown in the supermarket or whatever. Just think about whether you would like to be shown in that way. Um, I've also experienced where the, the, the times when I get, ask for advice from parents and parents often come to me, which is a real privilege, but sometimes they'll send me photos of their children's genitalia or, you know, to ask me what they can do and what am I, I don't feel comfortable with those photos and I'm not a doctor. So think about what's needed to solve your problem when you're asking for medical advice. You do, you, you can do that without putting intimate photos of your child on the internet or sending them to someone um and you also talk
0: about though the um fact what what you would like to see are parents reaching out to you in a in in a more kind of mentorship capacity yeah absolutely yeah because because
1: they yeah they they will be adults one day and they will need you know i had um i i've no i know some really beautiful children who do contact me and are friends with me and I've got a little friend in Australia who will message me on Instagram for advice and stuff and that's really lovely to be that person but when the parents shut that idea down and think that they know everything about ichthyosis when their child's a year old I had this one parent a few years ago who sent me a message and the first thing she said to me, "Was oh, I see that you use paraffin ointment from your photos. This is poisonous to you. Here, try my products." And I was, you know, in my early thirties, and I said, "How, how old is your child <laughs> with ichthyosis?" And oh, I just, you know, fifteen months old. And I said, "You know, that's great. You've got fifteen months of experience, but you're not the person living with it, and you're not me. And we all treat ichthyosis differently."
0: Plus, I've had 30 years of yeah. working out what works for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in your book, you write a really poignant um, letter to mm-hmm. your unborn child. Mm-hmm. You make it very clear that you're not making a pregnancy announcement.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But it, it was a really hard letter for mm-hmm. you to write. Why was that?
1: Well, it was a bit of a F you to those people that have said that I'd be a burden and that I, don't have, that, that I shouldn't have children, for starters, because <laughs> uh, there's been that. Um and it was also and the idea of the choice between bringing a child into the world with ichthyosis or not, um, pro-choice, but I'm also aware that of the responsibility that comes with bringing another disabled child into the world and the support that they will need and the difficulties they'll go through. Um, Is it a given that your child... No, it's not a given. I have a very rare form of ichthyosis and my partner is um, also, I don't know, he's not being tested, but our gene pools are very wide apart. So my geneticist says that it would be very unlikely that we have a child with ichthyosis, but it's more likely that my parents would have another child with ichthyosis than I would have a child with ichthyosis but for other people with different forms of ichthyosis it's more likely for them right. compared to the type i have so i think yeah anyway I'm, I'm not sure yet but you know whatever the case might be if i choose to have children i will get the support that i will need from the dermatology team and geneticist. and i also um talked about how when if I have a child, what what's the medical impact going to be on me? There are, you know, there's lots of people with ichthyosis that have had children, so it's doable, it's fine. Mm. And there's lots of people who have had it that haven't passed it on. But the people that have passed it on, I think they've got this wealth of knowledge behind them and wealth of support, which is great. Yeah. Well, um, if you do choose to have mm-hmm. children, you know a good radio show that you get remember <laughs> a good podcast I, I, you can yeah. download. I'll get them started on podcast early. <laughs> no, this is for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'll get the children to as well. as well. I'm happy.
0: As many listeners as yeah. I can have. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all of the work that you do, not, as you mentioned, there's work where you're on the clock mm-hmm. and you're in a job, but there's mm-hmm. the work that you do in your activism when you see something that you need to call out. Yeah. Um, it sounds bloody exhausting. Yeah.
1: Where do you find
0: the fire to keep up that fire?
1: Um, Sometimes I just have to say I don't want to do it anymore, you know, for a certain amount of time or, you know, sometimes people remind me that, hey, you're on a break. And I'm like, yeah, but it never (laughs) stops. Um, I don't know. I think it's like looking out for future generations and also being mindful that there are so many people that have fought for us in the past, for disabled people in the past. So I've got to, you know, honour their legacy and keep going. Um... But, yeah, it is, it is tiring. One of the things I would really love is when something happens that's discriminatory. So, for example, this morning I saw on Facebook there was a story about a woman who took her disabled brother into a, into a um, cafe and he was refused service because of his disability and on the basis that he was a messy eater. And so that's absolutely discriminatory. But lots of people were sharing this with me. It's great. I've seen it. Right. <laughs> what would be great? For them to be good allies and share it with their community so that their non-disabled friends, because generally, you know, people don't have a lot of disabled friends, um, are, um, you know, are are informed about that. So if I've taught someone something, it would be to be a good ally and to share, share it to do the work, to call it out, to write the complaint letter instead of it falling on me and other disabled people all the time. Yeah, and they can also read your book. They can read my book. And I have a Patreon and PayPal and they can donate to that if I have helped them or they have used my work in their work. Um, I am also editing Growing Up Disabled in Australia through Black Ink Books. Um, it's part of the Growing Up series and that will be out next year. And um, there's going to be around 50 disabled people who are writing their stories about life as a disabled person in to Australia. to get you back again. Yes, and that's that will be for um, young people. So, you know, Fabulous. people in schools to read it. Brilliant. I can't wait. All yeah. right, Carly, thank you so thank much. You. Um, Carly Findlay,
0: as I said, the book is called Say Hello and we'll put links to where you can get a copy of the book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.